Hello, welcome to the Broken Heart Club podcast episode number nine. This is your host, Harry. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how to get over regrets. So people keep telling me how much they wish they could have done things differently. If I only did this, if I only did that, things would have been different, Harry. Really, it would have. And every time I get one of those emails, I feel so sad because here's a person already going through a horrible situation such as a breakup and now they're obsessed about wishing they'd done stuff different an added problem to an already bad situation. That's why I think this topic is so relevant. So, I have a question for you. Have you ever made a mistake? Of course you have. Since you're listening to this shit, who hasn't, right? But your problem isn't that you made a mistake. Your problem is that you can't get over making this mistake. Hence, the regret. I've had so many regrets that trying to list them would be a Herculean task. But the cool thing is, they don't bother me as they used to because I don't see them as regrets. I see them as something much more productive. And here's how you can turn your regrets into something else too and not be bothered by them. The answer to that question lies in the story of how psychologist Leon Festinger came up with the theory of cognitive dissonance. Okay, this episode's going to be like all over the place. I'm going to go on a few tangents. But you know those movies that are like really mysterious and the first hour of the movie you don't understand anything what's going on you're like what the fuck is going on i don't understand anything what the hell's going on but at the end everything comes full circle and you understand the movie and you're like oh my god my mind is blown you know like so this will be kind of like a slow burn podcast kind of like mystery mysterious pacing (laughs) so uh, i will go on a bunch of tangents And it will seem like tangents, but at the end, it'll all make sense. So just please have faith in me and uh, we'll we'll get through through this very well. (laughs) Okay, so back to the topic. The answer to getting over regrets lies in the story of how psychologist Leon Festinger came up with the theory of cognitive dissonance. So in 1953, bunch of lunatics predicted that The world would end that year. They were like, oh my God, this year, December 21st, the world will end. So please come to us and uh, convert to our religion or whatever belief system they were um, espousing. I I don't remember exactly. So the psychologist Leon Festinger thought, uh, wouldn't it be interesting to see what happens to these lunatics when the world doesn't end? Because obviously we all knew that It was basically a hoax and nobody actually thought the world was going to end except these lunatics who thought they did. So uh, Festinger thought that, okay, so what would happen when these lunatics realized the world will not end and did not end? Would they become more crazy? Would they actually become more sane and say, you know what, we were wrong about this. Uh, by, by the way, okay, bye-bye, sorry for the bother. Or would they become even more crazy or would their heads explode? So it was just something very interesting um, Festinger thought he would do. And he already had a hypothesis of what was going to happen. So he just wanted to test his hypothesis. And by the way, you have to remember that these lunatics, in or uh, they had to quit their careers and severe their relationships with their families and friends for this thing that they were doing. Uh, so they had to be um, hu- hubble, hu- huddled up in a house and not leave or something like that. It's very creepy. I would I would um, really recommend reading that story yourself. It's very interesting. So, spoiler alert, the world did not end, right? So now you're thinking, okay, if the world did not end, what did these lunatics do, right? So when faced with this fact that the world did not end December 21st, 1953, the lunatics rationalized this happened because they spread the message so well that they stopped the world from ending. Okay, let me, let me, let me tell you this again. These Looney Tunes, <laughs> Looney Tunes actually 
thought that they spread the, their God's message so good to everyone. Their God was like, you know what? I'm not going to end the world. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. So, so how did these Looney Tunes come to that conclusion? How did they do it? Like it, because it, it doesn't make sense to us, right? It it just doesn't make makes no sense. These Looney Tunes came up with, to the conclusion because of cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when you have two conflicting ideas slash behavior slash attitudes at the same time, which causes you a lot of distress. You can't believe Santa is real and Santa is fake at the same time. Your head will explode. It doesn't make sense. How can Santa be real and Santa be fake at the same time? Like those two ideas in your mind at the same time would not, it would conflict with one another and it would not make sense. And you would have a lot of cognitive dissonance. To reduce that dis distress, uh, because cognitive dissonance creates a lot of distress like and stress in your head, in your body, in your brain. So to reduce that distress, you would need to kill or modify one of the ideas because you can't obviously have two conflicting ones, right? You can't have two ideas that are conflicting with each other and believe in them like your head's going to explode. So these lunatics had two ideas on their mind that were conflicting. The first idea was the world is going to end on December 21st, 1953. And the second idea, hey, the world did not end. Uh-oh. Because right in front of their eyes, they're seeing that the world did not end when they said it will end. But they used to think that the world will end. So these two ideas were conflicting, right? These lunatics had two choices. They can either believe that they spread their message so much and they sacrificed their careers and relationships to save the world. Or... They can think that they sacrifice their career and relationships for no reason because the world was not going to end. So which option do you think these lunatics chose? They can either believe they sacrifice their careers and relationship to spread the message and save the world. Or they believe they sacrifice their careers and relationship for nothing. Right? I'll ask you again. Well, which one did they pick? They obviously picked the uh, version that made them superheroes. Oh, oh! I I quit my career and uh, severed my relationships to save the world. So it so it's not a total waste. So that's what they believed. That's what they had to believe. So they did a lot of mental gymnastics to avoid admitting they made a mistake by sacrificing their lives for no reason. I mean, in reality, they sacrificed their careers and relationships for no reason. It was a total waste. But they couldn't, they couldn't admit their mistake. Because I don't blame them. Because admitting mistakes that turned your life upside down is very difficult and emotionally taxing. Not everyone can handle that. It takes a lot of intelligence, emotional fortitude, and courage to admit you're wrong. The dumbest people are the people that never admit when they have made a mistake. Ba basically, most of my extended family. That's why I turned out like this, you know? <laughs> that's why I turned out like this. Because they would never say, hey, I'm wrong, sorry. Like, it was always somebody else's fault, the government's fault, family's fault, fucking this random cat's fault. Not not my fault, not my mistake. It's what the, the, their mistake. So a lot of people are like that. And, and you know people like that. They're always also 100% in the right because they can't handle being wrong. It's not that they're right. It's just that they can't handle being wrong. They cheated. They lied. They abused their partners. But they themselves are the angels while the other person is the devil incarnate. Now you met these people, right? And you're not like that. You're actually one of those people who are strong and smart enough to admit you are wrong and you made a mistake. But the downside of that is you end up regretting not making the quote-unquote right decision and you keep wondering what life would be like if you did not make those decisions. I get so many emails 
that say, I know I'm stupid for doing this. I know you're going to judge me, etc., etc. You're not stupid for making that mistake. Not at all. Guess what? The smartest people in the history of the universe were horribly wrong. Aristotle was wrong about geocentrism. He thought planets revolved around the earth. And that does not even compare to mistakes people make in their romantic life. In love, you're not thinking rationally 90% of the time. All these chemicals are going inside your body, in your brain. You're like, you're in la-la land, man. Or woman, or whoever you are, whatever your pronouns are. So it's almost impossible to avoid mistakes. Let's face it, love makes us blind. The, the Greek gods of love, such as Cupid and Eros, are often depicted with blindfolds because that's, that's what love is. Love is fucking blind. You know, you don't know what's happening when you're in love. Thing, you're seeing everything in red and you are mistaking the red flags as well, just flags, you know, because everything is red. Like in the Renaissance, uh, romantic love was actually discouraged because that made you quote-unquote stupid. And it what young, dumb teenagers did. I mean, you, you all re read like Shakespeare's uh, story, Romeo and Juliet, and you think like love was like, oh, this is intense. Oh my God, I love you so much. No, the it was the platonic love that was seen as more respectable than the emotional, romantic sense of love. Because they thought that romantic love made you fucking nuts and crazy and stupid. And I agree with them. It does. I'm not saying you shouldn't fall into romantic love. I have nothing against it. But it does make you kind of stupid. Okay? Admitting it doesn't mean we are saying that we shouldn't get into romantic love. Admitting it is looking at it from a more objective perspective rather than making a judgment on it. So it is totally normal that you made mistakes and have regrets because of them, especially in, in a, when you're in love in, in a relationship or in life, man. So Einstein, uh, I remember this, Einstein told his wife that for his marriage to continue, his wife should not expect any affection from her. Like this is like the world's smartest person in the world trying to continue his marriage with his wife by telling him, don't you fucking touch me. And this and this uh, marriage will continue. Surprise, surprise, their, their marriage did not work. Guess what? He made a mistake. So you you are viable to, to it too. So you have to realize something. You have to realize it was normal to make mistakes, especially in a romantic relationships or in life in general because you're only human not God or a flawless being. So I was calling these guys lunatics, those guys that predicted that the world was going to end and were wrong. I'm not making fun of them. I know it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but if you think about it, we're all kind of lunatics in a way. So you have to forgive yourself for being a little bit of lunatic because that's the most human thing ever, and especially in love, because that's what makes anybody a lunatic. Love will make anyone crazy. And my second point is perfectly stated in Mark Manson's article about regret. So you have to realize from your regret and understand from your regret why you did this in the past. Like you have to try to understand why you did this in the past. What led you to make the quote-unquote wrong choice? Was this past version of you constantly acting jealous because he was insecure about himself or herself? Try to understand why he or she did that. If jealousy was the issue, then focusing on working on it will help. If neediness was the problem, then focus on working on that. Like when I was younger, I was so needy. Like I did the worst things you can do. After the first date, I would be like, yo, when are we getting married? You know, I, I'll be I'll be that creep. I'd be like, how many kids do you want after like the first date after I like that girl? Like I would become so clingy. I would text them every five seconds. And if they didn't reply in 30 minutes, I would have a mental breakdown. Seriously, I would have a mental breakdown and start texting them, sending voice messages. How could you do this to me? Ah! You know, 
obviously, um, I read all the bro magazine that told me, don't be needy, don't be clingy, don't message her too much. I rationally, I knew that people didn't like when you are clingy, but emotionally, I did not know that, I guess, right? And after I lost many relationships because of my clinginess, I started to realize that I needed to start working on being less clingy. The regret I felt from losing those relationships made me change for good. The regret transformed into a lesson. Now I'm not needed at all, right? So we all know that excessive jealousy, lying, cheating, manipulative behavior can cause our relationships to fail. But we do it anyway because knowing something is not the same thing as being ready to implement it in our life. I'll say that again. Knowing something is not the same thing as being ready to implement it in our life, as Matthew Hussey puts it brilliantly in his video, How to Stop Torching Yourself. So I knew lying was wrong, but I lied in one of my relationships anyway. I changed my ways only after I lost someone because of that. The regret of losing them because of lying made me change that attribute in me for good. So now, no matter what, I'll always tell the truth. I made every mistake you could think of. You name it. I've done it. That is why I'm here, because my regrets have given me lessons that I can share with you. I host this podcast. I give people advice, not because I came out of my mother with a psychology textbook. It's because I made many mistakes, and I regretted a lot of them. And that's why I learned from them, right? So... That's why I'm here talking about breakups and mistakes you can make so you don't have to make the mistake. I made the mistakes so you don't have to, okay? So learn, if you can, learn from other people's mistakes so you don't have to do them to learn from them. But you can also learn from your own mistakes. So you did what you did because that was who you were before the lesson from regret changed you. Let me say that again. You did whatever you did because that was who you were before the lesson from the regret changed you. So ask yourself, how can you use these regrets and change them into lessons? You have to change the narratives of these regrets. This narrative was a lesson that taught you blank. I had a lot of regrets after my first year of university. Uh, my regret, um, my biggest regret was that, you know, you know how uh, when you get into university and the first year is the year everybody has parties, everybody has fun, everybody makes friends, socializes, and does everything awesome. I didn't have that. I didn't do that because I was, I have something like, it's called social anxiety. So <clears throat> my social anxiety prevented me from having that college experience in my first year of college because anytime anybody wanted to hang out, I would just say no. Or anybody wanted to go to a party, I would say no. And I left that situation. I left that situation completely. I was like, this is just giving me anxiety. I'm going to leave. And then later on in my life, I was like, ah, what the fuck? I, I missed out on such a good experience because of my social anxiety. I regretted that, fuck, I let my social anxiety ruin my college experience. I regretted that. And from that regret, I decided that, fuck it, I'm gonna fix this social anxiety thing. And I'm not gonna let social anxiety ever ruin my experience or life ever in any way. So then I hired a coach. Yeah, he was a social anxiety coach of sorts. And he taught me how to cold approach people in the street. Cold approaching is just introducing yourself to a person you don't even know or you're introducing yourself to basically strangers. So he taught me how to walk in the streets of Toronto and cold approach people, say hi to random strangers. And I did that and had a lot of good experiences, bad experiences, funny and unique experiences in my life because I did that. And it's also how I got my first ever girlfriend because I did that. That's funny. But um, I had a really good experience cold approaching people. 
And I killed my social anxiety by doing that. I killed it completely. Now I don't have any social anxiety at all. I can go to any party, any group of people and have a good time and not be anxious all the time because I killed that socially anxious part of me by going through that experience. So that regret I had from my from the lack of my college experience forced me into killing my social anxiety and changing myself. That regret was a lesson to force me to tackle my social anxiety. Because before that, I didn't tackle my social anxiety. I didn't care. I was like, whatever. I'm just a little bit of an introvert, right? So that is the purpose of regret, to change your behavior, not to make you feel shittier. So transform your regrets into lessons. Now, there is a group of people who keep saying that, Hey, Harry, if I did this, then this would not have happened. If I did not beg and plead like a loser, she would have stayed with me. I knew it was wrong, or at the time, I didn't know better. So I, I call this uh, alternative reality fantasy, like just wishing you did something totally different. I mean, it's, it's hard not to do. It's really hard not to do. Okay, I, I, I totally get it. You may have, might have done a lot of things that were mistakes, and later you realize they were mistakes, and then it might have cost you the relationship, and then you just can't stop thinking that if you just did something different, you would have had, you would not have gone through the breakup, or you would have had better outcome. Like, if you did that quote-unquote right thing, you may have gotten that outcome, or maybe you would not have. You know, Matthew Hussey also talks about this in his video about how to stop torching yourself. It's like, maybe if you did not beg and plead, you could have gotten them back during no contact, but ended up losing them in six months anyway. If you guys were fundamentally incompatible, you would have broken up at one point. If you wanted kids 100% and the other person did not, then no matter what you did, it would have ended up at one point or another. You are thinking if you did not make that mistake or acted in a particular way, you guys would have ended up happily ever after. You think if you just did not have that misunderstanding, you guys would have lived together forever. That's bullshit. It, it scores 100% on my bullshit meter because no matter what you did, it could have ended in any hundreds of ways that was less than ideal. You're just focused on the ideal optimistic outcome. Who knows? You, you could have gotten married and she could have died in a car crash. You could have done everything right and quote-unquote right. And you guys got married. She was going back home and then she died in a car crash. Okay, you, you don't know. Or, or uh, you, he could have turned out to be a serial killer. You don't know. <laughs> Seriously, you don't know. Um, she could have turned into a raging alcoholic because she hated her job. Or he could have started cheating because you guys grew distant in the marriage. Or he could have gotten depression and left you. You literally don't know. It is not realistic to only focus on the most ideal outcome. You have to also think about the worst case scenarios too then, okay? You can sit and list hundreds of worst case scenarios that could have happened other than the ideal one you could, you're focusing on. They would have had the same probability of happening. That, that is the nature of life. It is the optimism bias that forces us to think like that. That's common, unless you're depressed or very cynical. If humans didn't have the optimism bias, we would not do anything. Like, like oh, let, let me start a business. Oh no, I'll fail. I won't do it. Uh, oh, let me go eat that, uh, go chase that deer and eat it. You know what? I'm not going to succeed, so I'm not going to try. Uh, like, if we did not have this optimism bias, which is looking at the most ideal outcome as our future reality, if we did not have them, we have that bias, we would not do anything. We would not start anything because we would just be like, oh no, this is going to fail. I'm not going to do anything. Uh, you know, but we're programmed to be optimistic. Our biases focus us on being positive and optimistic. So that's why it's it's in our in our blood, in our brain, right? But the problem with the optimism bias is that it is inaccurate. It's an inaccurate view of reality. So I want you to list all the ways the relationship would have ended even if you did not do these mistakes. So 
I'll give a very cliche example. So for example, you guys into a got into a yelling match one day and all the shit that you guys kept under came out and you guys were having very bad yelling situation and you guys broke broke up that day, okay? And that breakup was just caused by the yelling and shouting and abusive things you guys told each other. But let's say you didn't have that yelling situation, right? Just 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 minus that yelling situation. If he was very career focused, he could have chosen his career over you or if she was embarrassed about you, she might have broken up with you anyways without this yelling situation. So what the yelling situation did was just make the breakup come sooner than it would have been otherwise. So for example, if that yelling situation didn't happen, you guys would have broken up anyways for some other reason 6 months later or 12 months later or 1 year later, 2 years or after 5 kids, who knows. So that's just the reality. So if you're gonna if you're gonna beat yourself up over that one idealistic outcome, then you have to also think about all the worst case scenarios too. I mean, reality is 50% of marriages end in divorce, literally 50%. So to think that only you were about to have the most ideal outcome, that's kind of insane. So think about the ways that it would have ended anyway. Think about the worst case scenarios too. And only only you know your uh, ex or your partner the best, you know. And um, if I think about in my own life, I dated uh, this girl who was kind of suspectish, um, cheating wise. I, I I wasn't sure if she cheated on me, but we we broke up for some other reason entirely. But in the future, we could have broken up for her cheating, or sus or I suspect her no. But I have good reason to be suspicious. But I we didn't break up for that. We broke up for some other reason. So if that reason was did not happen or did, did if that reason did not exist then we probably would have broken up for the suspected cheating who knows so there are things you guys could have broken up over anyways in the future it's just that it came sooner than it would have you know that's something to think about my third point it's gonna reiterate matthew hussey's point about you were always gonna do what you did because that is who you were before the lesson from the regret again i will re- i repeat the most important things i say <laughs> you were always going to do what you did because that is who you were before the lesson from the regret all your life experiences built you up to that moment where you did that thing you later regretted like remember how i told you guys how needy i was like i was so clingy i wanted to marry the girl after the first date like i was needy because my experiences with my mother made me act needy she would not give me the care i needed so i had to act needy to get the care i needed and developed an anxious attachment style but when i grew up that's what i started doing with women i dated you can't undo your attachment style by reading a bro magazine that teaches you not to be hey don't be needy that's like telling people, hey, don't be jealous and, oh, thank you. I'm not jealous anymore. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Like, that doesn't happen. If somebody just tells you not to be jealous or somebody tells you not to be needy, you're not automatically doing that. So my experiences with losing relationships due to my neediness is what made me change my neediness. Any time I thought about being needy, I stopped myself because I knew what the consequences were. Telling a child not to touch the hot stove does not work. Anybody who has a child will know what I'm talking about. And, like, if you tell a kid, hey, don't do this or that, it doesn't usually work. The, the child only learns not to touch a hot stove after he did it and got burned. When he got burned, that experience seeped into his being. And that is why he stops now. Because of the consequences. Every Before he's going to touch... Uh, his consequences before was you told him, Hey, Timmy, don't touch the hot stove. So he, in his mind, his consequences were just you would get mad. So when you went to work or when you left, he was like, Okay, my only consequence was that dad would get angry at me. So I can 
touch the hot stove now. Let's see what happens. And then he touches the hot stove and then burns his hand. And then he realized, oh, that's why I shouldn't touch the hot stove. So now he doesn't stop the, he doesn't touch the hot stove because he knows what the consequences are. So you had to experience the consequences of losing them to learn from that mistake. Like one of my friends, he he regretted not being disciplined enough for school. And that regret uh, was because of the consequences he suffered. He failed out of uh, college. And he failed and it was very sad and he was very sad. And uh, it made him regret that he wasn't disciplined enough for that. And that regret came from the consequences he suffered. Consequences were, were that he failed college, right? And he turned that into a lesson and just became much more disciplined. And he went back into college and kicked college's ass and got a degree. So you might say that, oh, damn it, Harry. Now I wish I did not have these experiences that made me do the thing I regret. I, I used to also think that too. I used to think that ah, I wish I had a mother that cared for me so I did not behave so needy. Oh, well, the experiences that made you do that thing you regret could have been the same ex experiences that helped you get that person in the first place. Think about it. My experiences with my mom made me act needy, but it also made me very entertaining because I had to constantly entertain adults in my life to get any sort of care. So when I became an adult, I was good at entertaining people. This entertaining skill helped me get these girls to date me in the first place. So the thing that made me needy also made me entertaining. Hence, you can't wish you had a different past. If you remove those quote-unquote negative experiences in your life, you would not be you. Without the negative experiences with my mom, yeah, maybe I would not have been needy, but I would not have been entertaining as well. Like, obviously, if your past experiences that made you were traumatic, you know, get professional help. I'm not saying that's a good thing. But stand-up comedians, the best stand-up comedians have the most traumatic, depressing life stories. And uh, when people ask them, like, why, is because when their life was so much of their life was depressing and traumatic that to just survive, they just had to make light of it. They just have to joke about it. Like the people with the best senses of humor have the worst life ever. This is just so true. And it does make a lot of sense. So if those bad things didn't happen to these people, they wouldn't have been huge stand-up comics. I mean, obviously, it's horrible that that happened. But because that happened, they became so funny. So whatever happened to you in the past that made you behave like that was not under your control. It wasn't under your control at all. So focus on what is under your control now. How you behave now after all your lessons from your regrets is under your control. So focus on that, not on what happened in the past. So I read this book by Matt Haig and it talks a lot about this topic. It's called The Midnight Library and it's one of the best books I ever read in my life. So um, spoilers ahead because some of the lessons I will take away from that book. And I will give you a short summary of the book. And I will give you the lessons of the book and kind of analyze them, interpret it for you. So if you plan on reading this book, um, you can skip this part of the podcast. But I won't, I won't uh, reveal too much. I'll try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. But I mean, I'll pretty much give you the basic summary of this book. But highly recommend this book if you're struggling with this topic such as regret. So here's the basic premise of this book is we have our protagonist who's 35 years old, works like a shitty job, dead-end job. It's not going anywhere. And she lives in like a shitty-ass town of Bedford. It's like a small town. Nobody gives a fuck. Nothing happens there. She teaches one kid the piano. And then her cat ends up dying. And also, little known fact, her brother hates her because she did not join his rock band. And she's single because she left her ex-fiance because she wasn't ready to get married to him. And she ended up abandoning her best friend because her best friend went to Australia. 
So that's what basically her life was. And essentially, she regrets all of her decisions that led her to that place. So she feels so depressed, she takes a bunch of pills and goes into limbo, a place between alive and dead, and meets this angel-like figure who gives her the opportunity to go back in time and change her decision. So isn't isn't like isn't this like what ev- everybody wanted at one point? Like ah shit, if I had a time machine, I would go back and reverse this de- decision. Like we we all at one point in our life thought about this. Oh shit, if I had a time machine, I would go one day and change this. You know, we all fantasize about that. But this book actually goes into why you wouldn't want to do that and why that would actually be fucked up. So now we we always wish this. Right, uh, you know, uh, oh, I wish I could go back in time and studied harder in school, or I wish if I could go back in time and said yes to this girl or guy or whatever, whatever decision. Oh, wish I went back in time, started the business, whatever it is. We all we always think like that, right? We always have these moments. So this angel-like figure is giving her the opportunity to go back in time and change uh, some of her decisions, so her life could have. A completely different trajectory. So her biggest regrets were number one, not marrying her ex-fiance, and number two was abandoning her best friend by not going to Australia with her, and number three was not chasing her rock ba- band dream with her brother. So her brother was really into singing and dancing, and she was really amazing too, but she didn't end up joining, and her brother hated her for that. That's why she regrets not joining the rock band. So what Nora, our protagonist, finds out that the reality where she made a different decision doesn't turn out to be like how she thought it was going to be. For example, she went back in time and reversed the not marrying her ex-fiance decision. So instead of saying no to marrying her ex-fiance, she said yes. And they got married. And a few years down the line, what she found out was that he became drunk, he became a drunk, and then he became a cheater. So he cheated on her, and he became drunk. So he, she was like, what the fuck? This is not the outcome I thought I was going to have if I married him. So that's also like an example of how you guys are always focused on the most idealistic outcome when you don't actually know for sure what could have happened, right? And in this book, there was a quote that the angel-like figure said. She said that, you can make different choices for a possible different outcome, but there's no certainty that you can control outcomes, which means that you can make different choices, but you can't control the outcome. So she went back in time and said yes to her fiance, but that still led her to like a shitty outcome. So that's something to really think about, right? And then she was like, fuck this. I'm going to go back and make a different decision about my best friend. So when she was best friends with uh, her friend, (laughs) when she was best friend with some girl, I forgot her name, her best friend said, hey, come, let's go to Australia and live a life there. We'll be really happy there. And she said no to it. So she went back in time and she said yes to it. And then she went to Australia. And then what she found out was that in a year or so, her best friend dies because of her. So she was having a party. Nora, our protagonist, was having a party. Her best friend was driving to the party and died in a car crash. So that's what happened when she went back in time and made a different decision and went to Australia with her best friend. Then she's like, what the fuck? And then she goes back in time again and makes a different decision so she could join her brother's rock band. So instead of saying no to her brother's rock band, She said yes. And well, what do you know? She finds out that her brother gets into very bad addiction problems uh, because of that rock band. And I'm not going to spoil it, but he does something really fucked up. It's very sad. So that's what happens. And Nora, at this point, like she undid all her regrets and found out that every outcome led to like shitty life. And she told the angel, she was like, what the fuck? Like any... Doesn't matter what different decision I make, my life is already shitty. Is that your lesson that my life will be always shitty no matter what I do? And then the angel was like, no, not actually. If you make different decisions 
you can have outcomes where it's not that bad or it's much better than these lives. So she does that. Nora goes back in time. In one life, she becomes a nurse. And in another, another life, she becomes an athlete. In one life, she becomes a mother of five. In one life, she marries young. So Nora keeps going back in time and keeps making different decisions to have like different, different lives, right? And um, like one, she was a chef. One, she was author. One, she was single mother with five kids. So she keep went going back in time and changing her decisions to have a different life. And she did it thousands and thousands of times, like a complete maniac. And she found out that every life had degrees of bad and degrees of good. In the life where she was a CEO, she didn't have enough time for a family. In the life where she was a housewife, she felt she wasted her potential. So she kept noticing things like that. And she couldn't really compare one life to another with the degrees of better. Like she couldn't say that this life is significantly better than this life because every single life had pros and cons. And let me tell you, no matter who you're friends with, Jeff Bezos, Oprah Winfrey, that homeless guy, they all have good and bad in their lives, degrees of good and bad, okay? And I'm sure the homeless guy's life is much worse than Oprah Winfrey and Jeff Bezos, but Jeff Bezos and Oprah Winfrey's life has a lot of turmoil too. Not much more than, not a lot more than the homeless guy, but it still does. So, I mean, so no matter what decisions you would have taken, your life would always had degrees of good and bad. So if you ended up marrying that guy or girl, your life could have been very good, a lot of good things in that life, but also a lot of bad things. You might have stress from all the kids. You might have not been able to travel that much because you have kids and stuff, or you might be, you might get bored of life. I don't know. You don't know what would have happened. I, don't look at me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not God. I, I don't know the future. But also, you're not God, and you don't know the future, so you don't know what would have happened. But what would have definitely happened was you would have had degrees of bad and degrees of good. You would never have a life that was perfect. Never. So what she keeps doing is like, fuck it, I'm still going to try to find a perfect life. I don't give a shit. So, he, so after thousands and thousands of tries, she finds her quote-unquote perfect life, where she had an amazing husband, a great daughter... And a fulfilling career, okay? And she, instead of living in like a shitty town of Bedford, she lived in Cambridge. And then she was like, she was living her perfect life. And then she thought about, remember how I said how in her original life, she used to be a tutor to a kid. She taught a kid some piano. And then like in her perfect life, she wondered, hmm, whatever happened to that kid I used to teach in my original life? So she drove back to her old town in her original life. She drove there and she found that kid. And what she found out was that that kid became a drug dealer and a criminal and a violent person. Really horrible. He, he became a really horrible guy. And then she asked the angel-like thing like, what the fuck happened? Like in this reality, this kid became a drug dealer? This kid became a fucking violent offender what 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 happened i just in this reality i just wasn't his teacher i wasn't his piano teacher and he turned out to be a criminal and then the angel like thing said was she said that listen you can never underestimate the small things in your original life when you used to teach this kid piano he had a lot of fun in it and it forced him to focus on something and that focus took him away from focusing on negative things. And it took him away from interacting with peers that were toxic for him. So that's why your piano lessons in your original life helped make that kid so great in that life. But in this life, you were not his piano teacher. You did not be, you were not his mentor who guided him to a good life. You were not, ex you were not anything to this kid in this reality. So that's why he turned out like this. And then, you know, Nora, she felt so bad. She was like, fuck. And then she went back to Cambridge in her perfect life and she was lying down and she thought that whatever this perfect life I have, I have now, it is not my life. 
This life is a life of another Nora who made different decisions. This is not the life of Nora who chose to teach a kid piano. So this is not me. And then she went back to her original life. And let me tell you, um, yeah, basically she, she went back to her original life. And I was going to kind of spoil what happened, but I'm not going to. You're going to have to just read the book and find out yourself what happens. But it's very cool. I really recommend you read that. So I want you to be proud of your own unique and non-conventional route you took in your life. And remember, like, every life has different degrees of bad and different degrees of good. You, you can't really compare lives. So, like, if anybody would ask me, hey, would you like to step into this time machine and go back and have a better college experience without social anxiety? So your first year of college would have been actually good and you would have had a typical college experience like most kids. And I would say no. I don't want to go into the time machine and alter my past because the experiences I went through because I didn't have that typical college experience made me who I am. Who I am. The unique, the interesting, the fun experiences that I had um, on the streets of Toronto saying hi to random strangers was a unique journey for me. Yeah, maybe if I uh, didn't have social anxiety and uh, had a fun social life in college, then maybe I would have been a completely different person. Maybe I would not have been talking into this mic for thousands of people. Uh, I don't know, 10,000 people, something like that. So 50,000 maybe, I, I don't know. So I wouldn't have been doing that. So that's what's your takeaway should be, that the regrets that in your life that have occurred will end up teaching you the best lessons. And Freud said something like, I'm very, I'm paraphrasing him a lot. Um, obviously, I don't believe everything what Freud says, but he said something like, you'll realize that the worst moments in your life, in retrospect, will be the best. I mean, if you, if you really think about it, it, it really does seem that way sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Like when I, when I think about recovering from horrible depression slowly, I have this sense of pride in myself. Like I survived that battle, you know? Like you, you, you've seen this hero's journey, like any hero's journey, any movie you watch. The, the, what's the story? The hero is like kind of weak and then he fights the villain and he gets injured or he he can't beat the villain the villain's too strong and then the villain is almost killing the hero the villain is almost almost right there almost killing the villain uh, sorry <laughs> the villain is almost killing the hero and somehow some way the hero some kind of something comes inside him something grows inside him he develops some kind of trick some something he learned from his mentor some some next level shit and then it beats the villain's ass at the last moment. And then like it's it's like the most the best best part of the movie is when like the hero beats the villain when you don't expect him to beat him. You know, when you don't expect him to actually pull through and he does. It's the best moment of the movie. And we all know the story. We we know the hero's gonna win at the end. We all know it. But why do we keep watch watching the same story over and over again? Because it's so good to see that it feels so good to see that because we see ourselves in that you know we because we all have struggled in life and we all have been through tough times we all we've all through been periods where the villain almost killed us and then we made it out alive and th those are our best moments so if you go to a hero and ask him what his best moments were that's what he's gonna say like my best moment was when that villain almost killed me and i somehow figured out how to beat him but that's only good in retrospect. So right now, you might not feel that this is your best moment. You might not feel that this is even a good moment. But maybe a year later, two years later, you'll look back at this period of your life and you will say, you know what? In that, that period of my life, I've been, been through such fucking hell, but I rose out of there like a fucking champion. And that's the best moment of my life. And who knows? Maybe you'll be saying that. So think about that.
Hey, I'm Harry. I'm a relationship coach who specializes in breakups and recovery. I've been working in this industry for the last four years. I've helped hundreds of clients get the results they wanted. And if I was able to help other people like you, I can help you too. I can help you if you want your ex back or just want to recover from this horrible breakup, or both. More importantly, I can help you get your happiness back so you can become who you were before this breakup. I know you're anxious, depressed, angry, and even confused. I can help you deal with that. You will become the happy person you were before this happened. It will take time and work, but it can definitely happen. Because I understand every situation is different and every breakup is different, each situation has its own unique factors at play. And generic advice you get from other gurus or coaches like Go no contact forever or contact them after 30 days won't work for every situation. So my private session is where I tailor the solution based on the specific situation that you're in. My service also helps you recover from this breakup. It's not just about getting your ex back. Don't miss out in this opportunity because my methods are based on proven science and reasoning. No voodoo or magic is involved. I'm so confident about my service that I have a ridiculous policy. My clients can only pay after the session is finished, and they are 100% satisfied with it. If they aren't satisfied, they don't pay. If after the session you're like, hey Harry, I'm not happy with the results, then you don't pay. No questions asked. I'm not going to say anything. We'll probably just say sorry. But the funny thing is, during the last four years, anybody that had a session with me always paid every single time. Some were so happy they gave a huge tip too. This is a policy you will rarely find among other coaches, gurus, and therapists. Send me a quick email if you want to know more about my private session because of lack of time, I couldn't really get into all the benefits of the session and what it actually entails. If you have any questions about anything, you can email me too. My email is brokenheartclubhelp at gmail.com. Let me spell it out for you. B-R-O-K-E-N-H-E-A-R-T-C-L-U-B-H-E. E-L-P at gmail.com. I'll also put it in the description so you can just easily get the access to it. And you can also go to www.brokenheartclub.net. You will find all my articles, podcasts, and the amazing testimonials my clients wrote for me there. And if you want to know more about my story and how I ended up doing this, you can also find it on my website also. I will uh, spell it uh, www.brokenheartclub.net. All right. So shoot me an email. Don't be shy. And uh, I'll see you there. That's all I have for you today. If you like my podcast, like my post, please, 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 please follow me, subscribe to me or whatever you need to do because there will be a lot more future content on your way. And always remember, no matter what happens, you will be okay eventually. <laughs>